This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. The election is over to everybody's great relief, I think, at this point. Uh, but that means that all these politicians who are running for office on November 6th have uh, either gotten elected or reelected, uh, the ones that are still in office now, and they've got to actually start producing something. They've got to start working. They've got to make things happen in the legislature, in the executive branch of government, in the judiciary. And, you know, there's some important people in Lansing who uh, help legislature make decisions get the job done. They are called lobbyists. Sometimes it's a pejorative term, but it should not be. Uh, Without lobbyists, uh, we'd be really floundering in our society. Uh, Our political problems would be much worse. And we've got one lobbyist on the line right now, very prominent lobbyist, uh, Rusty Merchant. Rusty, glad to have you with us. Good morning, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, and Rusty is a partner in McAlvey Merchant & Associates. I believe, Rusty, uh, you've been around, uh, the firm has at least for two decades. I can't believe it. I remember when Jeff McAlvey started. Yeah, 20 years. We celebrated our 20-year anniversary uh, last year. Well, congratulations. Uh, Let me just ask you, how did you get into uh, lobbying? How did you uh, wind up with uh, McAlvey Merchant and Associates? How long have you been there? Yeah. uh, And again, Bill, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You're a legend, and I'm just uh, glad to be able to chat with you this morning. Um, I, uh, I took the path that a lot of lobbyists, and that, that is, I started on staff. I interned uh, for a state senate office in the mid-90s for a man you remember, State Senator Doug Carl. Sure. Um, and then worked for Andrew Rachkowski, who was a majority floor leader in the House, and then went to the Grand Rapids Area Chamber of Commerce, where I was the VP of Government Affairs. Uh, ironically, uh, I worked on an issue in, at the chamber in regards to the casino in Wayland, if you may remember, when that was uh, a big debate in Lansing and an approval of the compact and everything that went along with with that. Well, through that work um, with that particular issue, I met Jeff and uh, began to work with him on the issue for a a mutual client. Um, And we just sort of hit it off. And uh, he approached me maybe a year and a half, two years later, and I've been there since 2003. Yeah, and Jeff, by the way, your partner, um, he was Governor Engler's legislative liaison, was he not? I was legislative director, yep. Right. Uh, Okay, you have the background for it. So how many clients do you have now? You know, it varies uh, based on, you know, what particular time of year it might be. And um, uh, right now we're probably 40 to 50 um, clients that we serve, ranging from uh, schools, universities, banks, uh, credit card companies, um, just a host of different things. We have a client that we're working with uh, with a rather interesting issue, I think, of raising the age from 17 to 18 for uh, youth to automatically be charged as adults. We're one of only four states that still charges all 17-year-olds as adults, and we're looking to make that change. So our client base is pretty varied. Right, and probably some of your clients are kind of maybe short-term. They want something done maybe on a particular issue, uh, but then uh, you've got other clients that are probably uh, long-standing. I mean, you're kind of doing uh, work for them, looking out for them all along, year after year. 
Yeah, you know, part of uh, part of lobbying is about relationships, and so from the perspective of a multi-client firm, uh, we have uh, good relationships with uh, legislators, uh, with the administration, and so that is obviously of value to folks who are looking to pursue things either on a short-term or a long-term basis, uh, knowing that relationships don't guarantee anything, uh, but they simply give you a an entree to have the discussion with policymakers. Yeah, um, 40 or 50 clients, that's a lot. I mean, is it just you and Jeff? You have some help? <laughs> you got some other lobbyists right. in there now? Yeah, yeah we, have, uh, we have four full-time lobbyists on staff and support staff uh, who all do a great job, and we just have a very cohesive team uh, where we're all sort of pulling in the same direction. It's a, it's a great place to work, and I love doing what I do and uh, love the people that I work with. I'm very, very fortunate. Always a challenge, too. Let me ask you, uh, we've got what's uh, going on right now, starting up, going to continue here for a few weeks, something called a lame duck session of the legislature. Uh, Will you explain to our listeners, how how would you define the term a lame duck session of a legislature? What is it? Yeah, well... it's a good question, and as you're asking me, I sort of chuckle because I, you know, I don't know that I've really thought about it in terms of the animal uh, and the <laughs> fact that uh, it's an animal that obviously can't fly. Um, but, and, you know, the other irony, irony is one of our clients is Ducks Unlimited, uh, and we're working on some legislation. So, you know, all this sort of fits together. Right. But, you know, lame duck is really probably a three- to four-week uh, period after the election prior to when a new uh, legislature and administration, if it's a new one, takes place. And essentially, it is a time to look at what didn't get done during the session um, and uh, prioritize those things to try to get something done before the end of the session. That's probably the best way to describe it. It's just that opportunity to go out and sort of finish off what had been started uh, during the session, during the two years previous. Right. And uh, this year, of course, lame duck potentially could be uh, a lot different than uh, the lame duck two years ago. Two years ago, uh, let's say we're coming up to the end of 2016, you still had a Republican governor that everybody knew was still going to be in office beginning in January 2017 and continuing on for two years. The legislature was controlled by Republicans in both chambers at the end of 2016, as it would be for the next two years. This year, things are different. Um, you've got a new governor coming in in January, and it's not a Republican. It's a Democrat. And yet the Republicans still will control the legislature, both the House and Senate, going forward beginning in January, as they do now. Uh, the real question is, are the Republicans uh, going to try and do anything on certain pieces of legislation, let's say this month or in December, that they realize if we don't get this done now and, and get a Republican governor to agree to it and sign it, it's probably never going to get done, uh, at least in the next two years, because you're going to have a Democratic governor who's going to oppose what we, the majority Republicans, want to do. So there may be some things like I'm thinking in particular about uh, earn sick leave and uh, raising the minimum wage, both of which were initiative petitions given the legislature in the summer, um, which the legislature chose to enact uh, without allowing them to go on the ballot. 
so that now the legislature seemingly can come back and amend these new laws if they want to in a way that's more favorable to what Republicans would be willing to accept. And, of course, Democrats, who are really behind these two uh, new laws that would have been ballot proposals that probably would have passed if they'd been on the ballot, they don't like this. Democrats do not want the Republicans tampering with that. Uh, What do you think of those two issues, and are there other issues there that you can see coming up in the next six weeks that are going to be, uh, you know, complicating uh, for the way people look at what the legislature is doing. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bill. Well, and I want to be fair to your listeners. Uh, just in full disclosure, uh, we are working with a group of folks uh, on the minimum wage uh, proposal to keep it the way that it is. So I just want to be fair. Sure, and that's good. That. That's good. Um, so we seem to have graduated to um, this idea of a plebiscite in order to. Uh, make laws. And I think what we've seen is it's not new, as in it's never been done before, but I think it is new in the sense that it's used more widely than it has been before. And so uh, the, the idea is you know, get the signatures, and then the legislature can either pass it or they can uh, send, not do anything and send it off to the ballot. And there's a little known alternative. Uh, from the Prop A days, if you'll remember, they could even put an alternative to that, and then they both would go to the ballot. So these are the tools that the constitutional framers put in place for these plebiscites. Right. And the, the idea being, if it if it's passed by the voters, you would need a three-quarters majority in order to amend it. If you pass it in the legislature, you only need a simple majority. And I, you know, the Republicans and Democrats, to no one's eyes, uh, philosophically disagree on the tenets of that, and so an effort to adopt that for to be able to change it with a simple majority isn't a stretch to think that's going to happen in lame duck. So I, I think both of those issues are likely to come up with some change. The question will be, are the changes drastic or are they subtle? Yeah, you know, clean up. I'll tell you, um, Rusty, we're going to have to take a short break here, but we'll come back and pick up on this conversation. Thank you very much. Hold it just one second. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with Rusty Merchant, who is a partner with the prominent Lansing uh, lobbying firm, McAlvey Merchant and Associates. They've been in business for two decades. Uh, They've got uh, 40 or 50 clients. They're major players in Lansing with the legislature, with the executive branch, all over state government. Uh, we've been talking to Rusty Merchant about uh, lame duck session of the legislature, which is uh, going on right now, Will, for about the next five weeks. And uh, there's some controversial uh, new acts uh, that were put into effect this summer, one on uh, earned sick leave, the other on raising the minimum wage. And uh, Rusty was explaining to us in the last segment that his firm, uh, McAlvey Merchant & Associates, represents uh, clients that want to keep the law the way it is right now, the way it was enacted by the legislature in the fall. They do not want any tampering with it, which uh, the legislature is contemplating doing. The Republicans in the legislature who constitute a majority of both the House and Senate are thinking, you know, there's some things about uh, these two laws that are not really very good for Michigan business and uh, we want to change them. For instance, uh, 
tip workers uh, under raising the minimum wage. And I just want to ask you, Rusty, uh, how do you look at that argument that they're raising? Uh, in fact, tip workers, many of them say, this new law is going to make it harder for us as waiters to actually make money than we have uh, under the old law before the new one was put into effect this summer. We don't like this. Uh, what do you say to that? Arguments uh, have been sort of laid out on both sides, and I think there are some uh, tipped workers who would express concern. Uh, I think there are some tipped workers who would express support. I think, you know, obviously you're going to have voices on both sides. Uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, this is a pretty um, significant change in how restaurant workers are paid, and change is scary to folks, right? Um, that's it's true, and it's true in my life. I have a, a three-month-old at home, and uh, when he was uh, pending his arrival, you know, there was there was some some fear there because life changes, <laughs> and so I think we all uh, fear change, and I think that's part of it. You know, lots of other places have gone to a system, you know, certainly where it isn't, uh, the, the tip culture isn't there. Uh, and I think, you know, there are certain um, people who like the change and who don't. And again, it's just, it's just hard change. I think the question for, the, for lame duck with these proposals will be, will they make technical changes to, quote, fix? Um, maybe, you know, you, you, anytime you write a law, and, and you know this, um, as you're uh, drafting and doing things, there may be unintended consequences. There may be other technical changes that need to be made that you know the legislature could do. And then there are substantive issues where you could go in and make a change, for instance, in the area of tipped workers. And so that that will be the question. And I, I don't know that I don't know that I know the answer to that as to which way they'll go. Yeah, you know, it's really kind of fascinating. Um, some. Uh... Democrats and uh, union officials and others were fearful in the summer when the Republican majority in the House and Senate enacted these uh, that uh, Republicans could come back after the election, which is where we are right now, and simply repeal the laws. I mean, they could go that far. I mean, they could say, you know, we're just going to get rid of these laws and make them disappear. Um, the Republicans kept saying, no, we will not do that. Uh, we will only make at least, uh, you know, technical amendments as you just described. Maybe we'll go into something more substantive like the tip worker issue, but we're not going to repeal them. Uh, are you pretty confident that they're not going to be repealed? And let me ask you this. What about the argument that, you know, these laws actually technically have not even gone into effect yet because they were not given immediate effect. They won't take effect until next spring. And yet the legislature is already going to try and tamper with them. Maybe we don't know for sure. And of course there are threats from, uh, opponents of changing anything in the new laws who say, we're going to take you to court. You should not be allowed to do this. You should right. not be allowed to tamper uh, you know, with this process, you should not misuse the initiative petition process uh, to enact something and then cynically come back uh, a couple of months later and completely gut the, the new laws. So how do you respond to all that? Yeah, well, I, uh, there's a lot packed into that, Bill. Uh, I, I'll start by saying this in terms of a court challenge of different things. Somebody once told me that um, a lawyer is... Um, or lobbyist is right in between lawyer and loser in the dictionary. So um, I, I'm not I'm not a lawyer. 
and certainly couldn't comment on what I think the courts would do, although you're right, there may be a suit. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, sort of to, to go high level, you know, democracy is a process, right? And one of the things that I always say is I'm not sure that I like my uh, democracy uh, efficient. You want to make sure that there are steps and things that have to take, and you want to make sure there's transparency. Ironically, um, you know, one of the things about these petitions is you essentially bypass the governor, right? Uh, you, right. You, you get the signatures, you adopt them, and they never go to the governor. Any changes that they would have to make to these two laws would have to go through the entire process and be signed by the governor. So it's different in the right. fact that the governor now is involved. Right. Right. And so that may change the dynamic um, uh, in, in the whole process where you have the executive inserted in where you didn't before. And so I think that sort of alters it. And what I like about even lame duck is people are going to have their opportunity to have their voice and to make their you know feelings known and to communicate with legislators, sometimes on their own and sometimes through lobbyists. And I think both are appropriate ways to do it. So uh, what about the fact that the laws haven't even taken effect? Uh, does that really technically make a difference as far as you can see? Um, they wouldn't take effect until I think it's like April 1st of next year, uh, will not, uh, unless something is done to them now. Uh, how, how does that complicate life for you if it does at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that it complicates anything other than there are certainly arguments, uh, that can be made as to why you shouldn't, uh, mess with it. Um, but obviously that's going to depend on your perspective. If there were changes that everyone, thought should be made and you could get agreement on those, then I think, you know, there's an appropriate mechanism to do that, uh, whether it's taken effect or not. You know, like I said, I'm not, I, I can't get into the legality of whether or not you can do it. My understanding, um, you know, is that, you know, someone goes to court, you know, it could be three or four years before we know, right? Right. Um, so it's just, it's hard to say, but, you know, the process is in place and the one that provides people the opportunity to do it. And if there can be agreement, uh, you know, they could make changes even before it's adopted. And then that obviously that could be challenged. Okay. We're running out of time, unfortunately, just over a minute. I just want to ask you looking ahead, let's say 2019 democratic governor, Republican legislature, what do you see as the big issues that are going to come up? Well, I think you just have to look at, uh, what folks campaigned on. I think infrastructure is going to be a very, uh, big and important issue. Uh, that's going to come out fairly quickly. Uh, and obviously the budget is, I think, going to be the biggest thing uh, because you have had eight years of all Republican control, and now you'll have an administration that, that isn't in the Republican hands, and you'll have a budget. And so priorities can be different, and how do you reconcile those? But I think infrastructure is probably the biggest thing that they try to tackle, and I think they'll try to do it in a bipartisan way. Okay, I wish we could talk longer, but we don't have time now. We'll have to get Rusty back. But Rusty Merchant, thank you very much. Uh, My pleasure. Partner in McAlvey Merchant and Associates, a prominent lobbyist in Lansing. Thank you so much, Rusty Merchant. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. I'm back with uh, at least one other lobbyist, maybe two, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of lobbyists in Lansing. Uh, some of them are called multi-client lobbyists. 
Uh, that's who we talked to at the first part of the program, Rusty Merchant from McAlvey Merchant and Associates. Um, and we are now going to talk to somebody from, I would call it an association, uh, the County Road Association of Michigan, CRA, I believe they refer to themselves as Ed Noyola, Deputy Director. Are you on with us, Ed? I'm here, Bill. Glad, glad to have you with us. And we also have Johanna Johnson, and she is the president and managing director of the Road Commission of Kalamazoo County. Do I have that title right? Uh, uh, yes, I'm the president of the County Road Association and the managing director of the Road Commission in Kalamazoo County. Good morning, Bill. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Sounds like you run everything down in Kalamazoo County. <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear it. Well, let me ask you that. Do you have to personally, you yourself, register as a lobbyist or not? Do you let Ed take care of that? No, I am indeed not a lobbyist. I'm a practitioner. So boots on the ground with our team here in Road Commission of Kalamazoo County. Okay, that's a good combination. Uh, Boots on the ground. And then we got Ed managing things up here for you with the legislature and the executive branch of government. Well, look, let, let me just ask both of you, and you can eat, uh, start uh, talking about this in either order you want to. We heard so much this year, uh, particularly from Gretchen Whitmer, uh, fix the damn roads. That was the mantra. And that will be the most famous uh, campaign slogan or battle cry that I think comes out of the 2018 campaign in Michigan. And actually, um, even though it... Uh, it not only implies, but asserts that the roads are not in very good shape in Michigan, I would think it actually uh, might have been kind of a hopeful uh, battle cry for those of you in the road game, and that is Ed Loyola and Joanna Johnson. I mean, you want the politicians to be debating a subject that is near and dear to your heart that you think is the most critical issue we face in Michigan, and that is the quality and maintenance of our roads, bridges, and highways. And you really had the politicians talking about it this year. So how do you look at uh, the campaign just passed, the way they talked about it, and what does that mean going forward, broadly speaking? Either one of you. Well, I'll I'll go first. But from the standpoint of uh, how do we take that that, that line, fix the damn roads, it can go both ways. Uh, some of our guys probably were a little bit upset by it from the standpoint that, you know, we can only do with what the legislature appropriates for us or what, what authority they issue for collecting revenue from, from the people of Michigan and, and visitors to Michigan. So we're, we're kind of limited. We are not uh, a tackling a, a governmental entity. We live off of basically the fuel tax and the registration fees that are collected and very little else. We do get some millage money. I shouldn't say some. We get a good chunk of millage money from townships and countywide millages for road purposes, uh, but that's, that's a small segment of the revenue that's available for us to use to maintain, preserve, and improve our roads. And I say that because there are three aspects of what we do, and Joanna's going to hit on another aspect, but those three are your generic operational expenditures that these guys have to use that limited resource uh, to perform. And, you know, maintenance, pushing snow around is not a beneficial, or you really don't see the bang for the buck other than you get to work on time and you get home safely. Joanna? Yeah, I'll just add on to that um, with what I just mentioned is uh, the good news is you do have, and we do have across the state, 
um, along with all of our transportation partners, public service people who want to do exactly that and do so every day, and that is fix our roads and bridges, ensure our infrastructure is safe um, across the state. Uh, certainly, we appreciate the conversation. Without question, we are trying to do all we can with utilizing that Michigan Transportation Fund revenue. Um, and as the cost of doing business increases, we continue to do our best to put those uh, dollars out on the roadway as much as possible. But to Ed's point, that Michigan Transportation Fund revenue is utilized not only for projects, right, in that limited construction season that we have across the state, but it's also utilized for our operations from what you see out on the roadways today, winter maintenance, mowing, tree removal, you name it, matching even federal funds that, are, that we receive. So we certainly appreciate the dialogue and the conversation um, that as public service, folks here across the state, um, we are certainly every day uh, looking to make the roads safe and improve them for um, all of our users uh, in the state. Let me ask the two of you, uh, remembering back to uh, May of 2015, now mm -hmm. that was when something called Proposal 1 was on the ballot. You remember that? Sure do. <laughs> well, it didn't fare too well at the polls. Uh, it called for a 1% hike in the state sales tax with most of the money supposed to go to road improvement, but there was a lot of other stuff in it that didn't have anything to do with roads at all. And it was resoundingly rejected by the voters, 80% to 20%. It was the biggest defeat of a ballot proposal in 70 years, since 1948. It was really whacked. And so the legislature went back to work, uh, if you can call it that, and in the fall of 2015, they passed, uh, a transportation uh, infrastructure improvement package, ostensibly, uh, although it has received uh, heavy criticism from Democrats and a lot of other people saying it was too slow to be put into uh, action and it's not enough and it's not going to get the job done. And here we are four years later and you have Gretchen Whitmer saying fix the damn roads as if nothing has been going on for the last four years as a result of the legislature's action in the fall of 2015. So I just want to ask the two of you, what is your general view of what the legislature did in the fall of 2015 and uh, the situation now and the situation going forward, if nothing else was done? Well, I, I can start by saying that the governor said it best. This is a great start when we increased or, or uh, passed the legislation to increase the fuel tax and the registration fees. Um, it was a good start, but reports, two reports came out uh, under Prop 1 and under the gas tax debate, registration fuel debate, uh, back in 15, that we needed about $2.4 billion more in additional revenue. And what the legislature passed was one2 so, and I go back to what Governor Snyder said. It said, that's a great start. That's a good start. But we need to do more. And we're discovering uh, no truer factor is out there than that. If you look at what the department's needs are and what the local agency's needs are, it is huge. It is extremely huge. And, and that, that also bears to the, uh, to the bridge infrastructure problems that we're having. We have a multitude of bridges that are structurally deficient, uh, at the state level and at the local level with, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, gosh, 14.4 local percent of our bridges are structurally deficient. MDOT has about 11% structurally deficient. 
structurally structurally deficient bridges. The, we're we're still behind the eight ball, believe it or not. Though even with that one point two billion, uh, that that's going to be coming here next next fiscal year. How about you, so Joanna? I, well, I was just going to say I was going to add to that is keeping in mind uh, that infrastructure package, package, excuse me, was signed in two thousand fifteen, went into effect in twenty seventeen. Um, so as you look at the data across the state, the Transportation Asset Management Council data, when you look at the, the roads that are uh, carry the greatest volume, right, today we are at um, 60% of our roadways in good and fair condition and 40% in poor. As we look at that package and forecast it out and even go as far as um, 2029, the Transportation Asset Management Council uh, data just shows some small improvements, um, and potentially as you look to 2029, you're looking at 62% um, of roads in good and fair and 38% in poor. So I'll echo what Ed said, is it was a start. Um, it, there is some small improvement as we look beyond um, you know, 2019, but the key to it is there's still a lot of unmet needs across the state in our infrastructure. Okay, we've got to take a short break here, but we're going to come back uh, in a minute with Ed Noyola, who's Deputy Director of the County Road Association of Michigan, and Johanna Johnson, who is the Managing Director of the Road Commission of Kalamazoo County, among other uh, titles that she bears down there in Kalamazoo (laughs) County. Uh, We'll be back. Listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with two guests, um, Joanna Johnson. She's chief cook and bottle washer of Kalamazoo County Road System. I got to tell you, she's got so many titles, I'm not even going to list them all. But she's the woman down there, the person in charge. Um, and then we've got Ed Noyola, who's deputy director of the County Road Association of Michigan uh, in Lansing, who's one of the top lobbyists uh, for, obviously, uh, county roads, uh, local roads uh, in Michigan uh, with the legislature, the executive branch of government. And we've been talking about uh, the overall situation with Michigan uh, roads, bridges and highways. Um, and I want to just ask uh, Joanna and Ed what they think uh, going forward uh, really should be done um, to fulfill uh, Gretchen Whitmer's battle cry of just fix the damn roads. Uh, and for that matter, I mean, uh, Bill Schuette even said, fix the darn roads. You know, <laughs> he was saying the same thing. And, and uh, you know, everybody will agree this is one of our top issues. So ideally, uh, if, if what's in place uh, that the legislature did in the fall of 2015 to try and improve the situation is not enough, and we've still got major problems going forward, Forward, what should be done to make it better for roads, bridges, and highways in Michigan? I ask you, either one of you, Ed or Joanna. Joanna, you want to go first? I Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Bill, I think, you know, we have this uh, line in uh, our industry about a mix of fixes. Um, and typically, we're talking about the type of treatments that we do along our roads um, and our bridges. But I would say, you know, moving forward um, and what should be done is that mix of fixes be carried over into um, the state, which includes good public policy that supports the investments in our roadways. Um, There's a ton of things that happen in the public space that we need to ensure we are um, supporting those investments. I think we have to continue to educate the importance of preservation treatments along our roadways. 
Uh, sometimes they're not, um, they're definitely not the most costly, but they are certainly the most efficient practices in preservation of our roadways. Those are those chip seal treatments, those crack seal things that you see, and sometimes folks wonder why we're doing what we're doing, but it's preserving those roadways just like we preserve our cars with oil changes. And then collaboration, I think that's another good piece is there's a lot of statewide initiatives right now with the Michigan Infrastructure Council, the Water Asset Management Council, and the Transportation Asset Management Council, and all those folks working together to preserve our system so that we are in those roadways um, and working together so that we have good conditions um, of those pavement surfaces and certainly what's even underneath those roadways. Ed? Bill, I, I, I look at the, the two reports that came out, and we need an, another additional $1.2 billion and probably more. If the department were to do another need study and we updated our need study, I'm sure that we could hit that mark really, really easy considering, you know, inflation and the cost of material et cetera, it, it's, everything has skyrocketed from, from yes. salt to guardrails to uh, equipment needs. So that 1.2 is probably the bottom line. Well, you're, talk, you're talking 1.2 million every year, right? I mean, not just a one-time 1.2 billion. Right, right. Okay. That, that's an annual increase. Of annual increase. Well, well, where's right. the money going to come from, Ed? Well, I, I think if you go back to both reports, uh, Prop 1 and, and the gas tax debate of 2015, we gave the legislature a menu of ideas on how to approach this. And I don't think that any you can pick any one, uh, one uh, way of doing it, of generating additional revenue, is, is the right way. I think we have to sit down in a bipartisan way and come up with what's best for the state of Michigan, whether you, know, you remove the sales tax from fuel and, and increase the fuel tax, or whether you just give the, the sales tax on fuel to the road, uh, road groups. I, I don't know. I, I'm not... Uh, that's not my bailiwick. That's not mine to call. That's the legislature to make that decision and the governor's office to make that decision. Joanna? Yeah, I, I'll echo that. I think, again, I will repeat that I think there's a mix of fixes. You've got to look at all areas, all of those um, ways that we are currently, those things that impact our infrastructure and the ways that we're funding it. Um, I think it has to be a mix. And I well, think one of the things that they've been doing is taking money out of the general fund, really, for the first yeah. time to help on this. And, of course, a lot of people say that's really bad. Uh, they shouldn't have gone down this road. And it's going to be interesting to see whether Jen, uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, comes in and says we got to stop doing that. But if so, what about bonding? What about bonds? Well, anything we're doing with bonds, you know, that has to be paid back. What is the revenue source for paying the bonds back with, with regards to uh, what the governor-elect has uh, recommended or uh, promoted or what even Representative or the Speaker-elect Catfield has been saying is how do we pay that back? Is it going to be paid back out of the fuel tax revenue that's being generated, and how is that going to impact the road agencies that are relying on that revenue to come in? So that, or is it going to be a different source? Is it going to be from the, from the marijuana tax? Is it going to be from the Internet tax? What about the I mean, what about the rainy there. what about the rainy day fund? Some people are worried that you know maybe they're going to tap into that. That's about a billion right now. Yeah, yeah. Those are again. Those are all things that we talked about in in those two reports of, of revenue sources. Well, one thing we know for sure is our infrastructure touches everyone, right? So right. There, when when we have to we need to sit down and look at all those various things that we just even just mentioned today and really see what's the most valuable uh, valuable way to preserve and support our infrastructure long term. Because one thing's for sure is again we all know uh, based on this election cycle that it is indeed 
the priority and on everyone's mind. And, uh, Bill, I also want to remind the public that, you know, transportation and uh, infrastructure all begins and ends in your driveway. At the end of your driveway, that's where the transportation infrastructure begins, underground infrastructure. Those are all important key elements of our process for deciding where and when uh, can we make improvements to our roadways. Uh, so we, we have to stop thinking of just the surface. We also have to start collaborating with our utility friends and, and uh, neighbors, as well as our communication folks that want to come into the right-of-way and use uh, uh, access our right-of-way for their purposes. I mean, it, it all has to come together, and we all have to be singing from the same hymnal when it comes to how are we going to treat and uh, maintain our rights-of-way. It's not just roads and bridges and culverts. There's, there's that 33 feet that we at the local level have to deal with. Right. Uh, you know, we hear complaints all the time out in the uh, general populace. These aren't so much maybe the road experts like you guys are, uh, about, you know, the quality of the cement and concrete or asphalt or whatever is used on our road services. And people complain that, you know, uh, we fix these roads and then they deteriorate too fast and that there ought to be some way to get some kind of magic bullet. <laughs> permanent elixir or something that lasts forever in perpetuity that never wears out. And, and I'm just curious, I mean, is there any sign of a breakthrough, uh, you know, among the engineers and, and scientists uh, of the world that they might come up with something that is somehow so superior to the kind of composition we've been using all these years and decades that it would make a lot of these problems, uh, you know, solvable by a one-time fix that would last for at least half a century. What do you think? Well, I'll, I'll take a stab at that one, um, Bill, is I will tell you, um, I haven't found it yet, but we're always looking for it. I will tell you, um, <laughs> across the state, I mean, we have a state transportation and innovation council. I certainly uh, talk to folks around the nation, frankly, around the uh, country and even overseas, and there is no magic, but we are constantly looking towards innovation, right? But even that costs money. But indeed, we are. I want folks to understand and know that you have um, a group of transportation experts in this state that are constantly looking to see and try to find if there is that magic and something that we're missing. The one thing here in Michigan, at the end of the day, um, is still the freeze-thaw cycles that play havoc on us. Um, and water, um, obviously, is a key component of that. But I will tell you, rest assured, be rest assured that we are always looking um, for that magic um, piece that will help sustain our infrastructure for a longer period of time. Bill, I'm not an engineer, nor do I play one on TV. You know, I rely on, on our, our experts to make those sort of scientific decisions and, and uh, trial, trials and tribulations of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, I think we've got the best engineers in the country working on trying to figure out ways to improve the infrastructure, make things last a little bit longer. But again, that freeze-thaw cycle is our worst enemy. We, we have multiple seasons. We also have multiple soil conditions, which some soil conditions hold water more than others. And right. we're doing our best to, to make sure that, that we treat our roads uh, uh, in, a, in a fair way when we allow traffic, especially commercial truck traffic, to use our roadways. Well, uh, we unfortunately could uh, are going to have to cut this short. I wish we could keep on talking about it, talk about new leadership maybe in the State Department of Transportation. The longtime director uh, just resigned. And uh, also we've got a new chair of the uh, House Appropriations Committee, Shane Hernandez, 
Well, a few years ago, uh, I remember <laughs> tried to get some more money for roads and highways by uh, cutting a whole bunch of personnel from the State Department of Transportation. I'd love to hear our guests comment on that, but I'm going to save them the agony. And, and, <laughs> Thanks, Bill. And, and uh, thank you very much, uh, Ed Noyola and uh, Joanna Johnson. You were a great guest. Have a great weekend. Yeah. <laughs>